This is uh, left, right, and center. On the left is. We don't see him much anymore, <laughs> but Robert Bonds, uh, we welcome him back to the program. Nice to have you here. Nice to be here, Jim. And Jeff Schlemmer is back. <laughs> Wearing your uh, partisan shirt, I it's see. true. Today. I'm not going to say. I'm working today. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Guys, I wonder if we can... Uh, well, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit here. I'm going to take advantage of your expertise, but I'm going to ask you to try not to try not to be too partisan on this. I was going to talk about uh, affordable housing and so on this morning, but I think given the day today... June the 2nd, the day before the election. Maybe it's a time to take a look at the electorate out there and just kind of see where you guys see this province going. Now, let, let, me, let me put this in a little context here. I hate election polls, but I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of people are paying attention to them. According to the polls, it looks as though there will be a Tory majority, although, hey, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. The Liberals could still have a surge. NDP support could fall off. Who knows? But it seems to me fairly self-evident that Ontario has moved somewhat to the right in terms of the policies. If you look at the Liberal, uh, the 2020 plan, it really is not all that different from Mike Harris's blueprint, um, differences in execution and so on. But uh, there seems to be a certain consensus out there that we need to we need to cut spending, we need to improve health care and education and all of these things. Jeff, I'm going to ask you first, the, traditionally, because you're on the left and involved in the Liberal Party, traditionally the Liberal Party has been kind of this amorphous group that, that kind of, uh, and I don't mean this in any derogatory sense at all, that kind of molded its principles to meet the needs of the time, to meet the needs of the electorate. People said this is what we want. Liberals traditionally have been very forthcoming about delivering that kind of thing. Um, has this has this upset the left constituency within the Liberal Party, this, this shift to the right, or do you think, in fact, there's been a shift to the right? Uh, well, there certainly has been a shift to the right over the last uh, decade or so, and I think that it's, it's mirrored one that we saw really around the world from uh, sort of the early 80s onwards, uh, sort of the neoconservative movement. And it's true that I think of the Liberal Party as being a principally a populist party, a pragmatic party, rather than an ideological party. It, the Liberal Party at, at different times in different places stands for very different things. Uh, if you look at the Liberal Party in B.C., for instance, it's really the right-wing party out there. Um, and uh, federally, certainly, we've seen uh, the Liberal Party, since they were elected, have been far more right-wing than, in a lot of ways, than the Conservative Mulroney government was before them, They, uh, they with the massive cuts to transfer payments for social programs and so on. Um, and I think that uh, provincially, this, uh, this election, the Liberal Party has moved a fair ways to the right as well, um, partly with Joel McGinty, who I think came from the rightish side of the party. And, and within the party, I think that there, uh, my friends tell me the Liberal Party, they say, is a big tent with room enough for everybody, and that there is sort of a broad uh, uh, spectrum of people from right-wing people who would be perfectly comfortable in the Reform Party or the Liberal Party, uh, and other people who would be perfectly happy in the NDP Party or the Liberals, which are probably includes me. Um, you know, in the last election, I, I worked for the NDP and uh, Marion Boyd, and uh, I, I think she's a wonderful uh, politician. Um, so anyway, within the party, I think there has been that move more towards the right. And I don't think that that's, uh, personally, it's regrettable in the sense that I would obviously like to see them pushing more leftish issues. On the other hand, uh, liberals are pragmatists, and, and I'm one of them. And I think that realistically, to, to govern, right now with the mood of the electorate you can't be off on the left you've got to be somewhere in the middle uh and one of the questions in ontario was sort of where that middle ground lies 
Uh, one of the things that's been really interesting to me is to see around the world governments coming back from the right, back more towards the middle ground, the, the third way that we hear about in, you know, in England, in Germany, the United States, Canada, recently in Israel, for instance, they've moved more towards a, a centrist government away from the right wing. And, and somebody explained to me a week or two ago that, well, in Ontario, we're always about five years behind the, the world political trends. So we're going to have another neocon government for another term. But after that, we'll get back to the middle. Uh, so anyway, I think that the Liberal Party have done the correct thing in trying to uh, trying to uh, adapt themselves to a, a mood right now, which is more right-wingish, although I think that after the election you'll see them moving back more towards the middle. Robert, let me ask you the uh, same or similar question. Do you, do you think that this is, in fact, what's happened, that we've, we've kind of shifted the body politic, you shifted to the right? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, I see uh, a shift to the left. Uh, in some respects, there's a shift to the right, but um, that's something that any government, no matter if they're conservative, Liberal or NDP um, got in would have to uh, make the changes that they did as far as lowering taxes go, uh, that, that kind of thing, or amalgamating or uh, consolidating services like boards of education, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Those things are ine in, in, inevitable changes that had to be made. And those decisions are not made at government level, they're made at ministry levels, they're made at bureaucratic levels, and, the, and basically the elected representatives more or less follow the lead of the uh, bureaucrats. Um, but um, so no, no, I don't think that it's it's a move to the right. I think that the three main parties are have and always will be uh, status parties, left wing parties, socialist parties, whatever one label you want to put on them. They all believe in big government. They all believe in state uh, monopoly uh, um, when it comes to health care, when it comes to education, when it comes to uh, most any other service, uh, liquor control board. You know th those kinds of things. You don't see the Harris government getting rid of the LCBO. You don't see him getting rid of. TVO, you don't see them. Although they've talked about it, they can talk all they want. But when they do something, then I might say that, ah, oh, well, that was a that was a good move. But talking about it is not a good move. It's a good talk. Now, if uh, okay, let's let's accept uh, what you said there. But how does that fit in again with the needs of the body politic? Jeff alluded earlier, the Liberal Party being a pragmatic party, kind of following. You know, here's what the people want. Let's give it to them. The people have not widely expressed the desire for the kinds of, uh, of hands-off government that you've just described. At least they haven't expressed it at the polls. It's difficult to say what the public want because our democratic system, if you want to call it that, um, is not geared to give the, pop, uh, the people what they want. We have a first-past-the-post system, mm -hmm. so if you have a number of parties running, um, you're going to get a party in there which represents a minority viewpoint. Um, when was the last time that our governing party actually polled more than 50% of the popular yeah, vote? Yeah, but, where, but where, where's, the, where's the support for this even in the parties that don't get elected? The support isn't there is the point I'm trying to make. Um, is it, but why isn't it there, Jim? I, because, you know, when I go around and I talk to people, maybe it's just the circle of people um, I have around me, but when I talk to people, they want a choice in education, they want a choice in health care, mm -hmm. they want lower taxes, they want these kinds of things, and yet, unfortunately, the three main traditional parties are not geared to give them that. So what they do is they vote for that old party, which they think will perhaps closest come to their estimation of what they want. Okay, Jeff, I want to, I want to switch to you here for a second. D do you buy that argument? My observation would be that the parties, uh, and I don't know about the NDP because I don't know that much. I mean, I'm not privy to any of their inside councils at all, and I am a little bit to the other two parties. But certainly, it seems to me that if the people that, that Robert are talking about, if there were enough of them out there talking to their MPPs and talking to the party organizations, that they are going to move in that direction. But the, it, it's not so much that the people don't have a choice at the party. My observation would be that they're not telling the parties that's what they want. If enough people spoke up and said, this is what I want, 
one of those parties is going to accommodate them. Am I wrong in that, Jeff? No, I think that that's right. And I, I think that uh, although I'm not a centrist, I, I don't think that Robert is either. Uh, both of us have ideas about the way the world would be a better place. But I think that the average person sees things as being about where they are, as being not too bad a place. And I think that, well, we hear that they'd like to have lower taxes. On the other hand, most people are realistic enough to know that I'd also like to have lower car prices. I'd like to have lower food prices. But we live in a real world. It's just not, you know, you want to buy something that costs money. And I think the average person understands that and accepts that. And I think that they come back to the idea of, you know, fundamentally, um, you know, uh, should we go all the way towards a private sector thing where, you know, you buy all your services, um, you know, and government really isn't involved in very much of your life? Will that be a better world? Or, on the other hand, should you have a society where everything is a state monopoly and you have to deal with, uh, you know, the government car company, for instance? And I think that the average person says, no, you know, I like to be somewhere in the middle. I like a bit of this and a bit of that. But I think that as long as we're somewhere in the middle, that's the best place to, to, to run things. You don't get into too much trouble. And yet we've got a, we had a, an interview earlier today with the people from Reader's Digest who commissioned the Gallup poll. And one of the things that they noted, although it wasn't part of the poll results, was in 1961, the, the tax burden on the average Canadian family has gone up 137% after adjustment for inflation. So it's, double, it's doubled and then some. Well, I heard that, actually, and I, I was struck by that, and I was thinking, you know, back in 1961, it seems to me you could buy a Volkswagen for about 1000 bucks, and I just bought one for 25000 and uh, even if you factor inflation into there, I think, you know, well, things have gone up in price. The question is, at the end of the day, are you getting value for your money? And maybe we're not. In government a lot of ways, the government, maybe we're yet. not. I don't know. Government well, is government, not a commodity. Government provides a service. Government you know, provides a service. The question is whether or not it's a, a good value but for the money. But what service did we get in 1960? What services do we get today that we did not get in 1961? I stop and think about this. Well, 1961, we did not have universal health care, for sure. We didn't have that. But we had pretty good education system. We had a good health care system. Well, no, we didn't have... We had we good policing. We didn't have a post-secondary education system. We didn't have community colleges at we all. We had a good uh, health care system. And we had 86% of the population. We wanted to go into education. Forget but, it. But what did we need? What, at that point, with all due respect, we didn't need the kinds of community colleges we have now because there were other ways for people to get those training. People didn't go to college to become nurses. They didn't go to college to become mechanics. They didn't have to. There were other ways to get those certifications. Well, I would suggest to you that there was a, was a demand for them, that there was a perceived need for that kind of education, partly because the world's become a more complicated place. But that but uh, why you know, should if you our taxes what we're getting for our tax dollars yeah. now that we weren't then, yeah. I look at an area of interest for me is, is parks. I like camping, for instance. You look at the number of camps there were then compared to now, and it's just way, way, so way more now. So we're paying two and a half times as much tax so we can have a few more parks? Come on, Jeff. Wait a minute. No, what I'm saying is you can go down the list and virtually any kind of service you want to name, you'll find you're getting a lot more of it now from government well, than I you just were in 1961. Well, name me another one beside the parks. Okay, well, I mentioned education for stars. If you but, want to go to but, university in 61, there was no such thing as OSAP loans. They didn't exist. There was no such thing as subsidization uh, to, to nearly the extent but that there it was. But there were lots of part-time jobs and lots of people put themselves through school. There were very few universities and few people who, very, very, very few people from lower-income families and some from middle income families that could afford to go to them, but by and large, Western was a school for elite people, for the children well, I gotta the Well, i got to tell you, I grew up in a boarding house here in the city of London with university students staying there. And we there, the dozens of them went through while in the years I was growing up, and none of them were from rich families. No, but again, to come back to it, if you're going to seriously argue it was easier to go to university in 61 than now, it's just, that's absolutely crazy. When you talk about, again, the, the, the number of places there are now, and, and you can always well, look no, at no, anecdotal no, no, evidence no, 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 and no, no, say, I'm saying, I'm I know easy. a guy and he no, got no, through no, university. I'm not saying easy, but I'm saying from the point of view of the taxpayer, 
How am I any better served today? Am I any better served because it's easier to get a student loan? Is my society better served? Again, that comes back to, I guess, and, and you get into education as to whether education is ever of any value to a society. I know lots of people would say, no, education has no, no value I would disagree. to our society. No, I think it does have a value, but I look at the quality of my society today, the quality of my society in 1961, I don't see that 130% improvement in the quality of society if, if, if education is one of the rationales for putting them, for spending money. Well, that comes money. back to value for the money, whether or not you're getting value or not. You say, is society 130% better than it was back in 61? I, I, would, I would argue that. Give me some time and I'll think of lots of ways that it is. You know, I would suggest that we have a far more uh, uh, accepting society today. We don't have the racism that we had in 61. The society in 61 had a lot of problems. And I know there are those who will look back to the golden era and say, if only we could all live in Leave it to Beaver. And, of course, and if we taxed everybody to death, it gets rid of racism. I mean, well, I'm not aware of anybody taxing anybody to death. But it certainly uh, it is true, without exception, that... Uh, the in increase in the price of the services I get through government have not gone up nearly as much as the increase in price of services like cars. The have difference gone up. is that you're forced to pay taxes and you're it not forced to buy a Volkswagen. It's not relevant as to whether you need it or not. If you have to buy something, the question of whether you're forced to buy it from a place or whether you have a choice of buying it from five other places that will charge you three times as much, that's not a real choice. Well, let's look at exactly what's happened since 61. And I don't know why we picked 61, but that's probably that the was, survey. That was the figure of the survey came <laughs> but, from. But um, just look at that. I mean, the, the degree to which your taxes have gone up is an indication of the degree to which your freedom has gone down. That's basically well, it. And that's your an choices. ideological position, yeah. That's, well, yes, it is. And I thought yeah. this was left-right center. So, I mean, if I, <laughs> I, forgive me I, for I, taking I, a right-hand point of view. I for granted that I disagree totally with what you just said. <laughs> you, know, I found, you know, I find it interesting, Jeff, that when you got talking about the Liberal Party, you said it was a principal party of pragmatism. No, no, I, I didn't find, say principal. <laughs> I said it's a pragmatic party. I've got it written down here. Principally a pr pragmatic party. Is Principally exactly, a pragmatic party. Which I find quite the oxymoron, word, because word either you're a pragmatist or you're a principal person, not the, no, no. not the both. No, I didn't say it was a principled party of pragmatism. I said literary though. But, uh, no, I said that the Liberal Party is a pragmatic party of the middle ground. The, the Liberal Party tries to figure out what the average person wants, and then they, they try to give it to them. That's all that they care about. Oh, I've got, got another name for it. It's called buying your votes. Uh, that off the bat, well, you know, a question of whether well, they're the person sure should get what they want or not. I guess you're saying they shouldn't get what they want, but that's another issue. But I'm not, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that. I'm saying that, that in the world that I live on, I've tried to do that. But uh, as far as principles, uh, I've got ones that often differ from the Liberal Party. All right, let's pause for a moment here. We will be back after these important messages. Robert Vaughn and Jeff Schlemmer with us on Left, Right, and Center. This is Left, Right, and Center with Robert Vaughn and Jeff Schlemmer. We've been talking about uh, about the, the mood of the body politic and about taxes, and we invite your calls and comments. And Floyd's with us. Hi, Floyd. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good. Uh, not sure I've uh, followed the whole program, so I hope I'm still on topic, but uh, you were discussing the issue of uh, receiving uh, goods for, for money paid tax-wise. Yes. And uh, I think uh, probably the solution to our problem is the probably seven or $800 billion of debt that we're servicing uh, politically. Yep as well as another three or four hundred billion uh, personally that people are uh, are uh, responsible for that yeah. we probably we didn't have to worry about in 1961. I think that's a very good point. I, I know in those days the uh, credit was not as readily available as is today. We didn't have credit cards. It was a lot tougher to get a loan at the bank. So the average individual, yeah, probably was able to save more money because they didn't have the distractions of being able to borrow to buy. And, you know, you can't spend money on uh, health and education if you're spending it on tax uh, taxes that were uh, being turned over for uh, for debt and deficit. Yeah, that's a very good point. So I think uh, that just uh, brings to light the uh, the need to, to do something to reduce that debt and deficit so we can spend our money on hard services instead of uh, interest payments. Thanks for the call today, Floyd. You're welcome. Good to hear from you. Howard's up. Hello, Howard. Oh, good morning. I agree 100% with the, just your last caller there. 
I think he put his finger on the problem. But I, I didn't call about that. Um, the uh, Now, I, a lot of the things the right wing have to say are true, uh, but a lot of them are false. And uh, Well, a lot of the things everybody says are that's false. That's right, that's right. But uh, I think really... Well, one thing about the right wing, I think part of part of the right wing is uh, based on Pan-Americanism, and I think it's a front for Pan-Americanism. But the other part of the right wing is uh, called conservatism, uh, legitimate. But uh, anyway, I was going to talk about the health insurance. The reason that the, uh, the probably the government health insurance is more expensive than the private, for the simple reason that the private insurers select their uh, their uh, clients. Uh, you can't, if you've got uh, cancer, we'll say, you can't go in and buy a life, uh, health insurance from a private, uh, private insurance company. And that is, I mean, if, if say, we, say there was a life insurance company running and they found a bunch of beings in this universe that uh, were immortal, they'd have, uh, they could put a really low uh, premium on their uh, life insurance, couldn't they? Can I respond to that, Howard? Um, back in, I think it was 67 or somewhere around there when uh, Ontario got into the um, health insurance business with OHIP, uh, there was 86%, I believe the figure was, of Ontarians were fully covered by uh, private What about the other 4%? Don't, don't they have any no, rights? that's what I'm getting to. That's what I'm getting to. The other 14% who were not covered, now some of them perhaps didn't, were wealthy enough not wanting to be covered, but let's say that 14% could not afford health care coverage. Why don't we subsidize the health insurance of those 14% rather than prohibit private insurance well, uh, I don't take care over the entire health care companies uh, who cares well the government, well, you're, the government you're cares your choice you're making your choice howard i mean if um, I, I guess there are some people out there who don't want to make choices don't want to think about things but i mean and want government to make all their decisions for them but I'd prefer to have uh, a society where I can decide, well, I don't like this insurance well, company, I'll go to this let one. Let me put another question to you. Say I live on a street that's uh, a newly acquired uh, part of the city through annexation. We have septic tanks. Now, people on the street vote to have a sewer put down. Is it right that I'm forced to join in the uh, sewer? I think it is. What do you think? Do you think... No, I, I don't think force is ever right, uh, Howard. I think oh, that if you want to stay right. with your we septic tank... I think if you want to stay with your septic tank, I think you should stay with your septic tank. Oh, I don't believe in that at all. That's really a crude theory. Why? Because it, it's... It's uh, it's not crude if you go talk to the people who are being asked, uh, literally forced to pay this money to replace a system that works just fine. If the city insists... My position is if the city insists that they have sewers, then the whole city ought to help pay for them, the same as they do everywhere else. Everybody helps to maintain the sewer system. Why should those people have to ante up just because they've been annexed, in many cases, against their wish. That's and the, true. And, and the city well, says... Well, let's forget about the annexation business, but we, we don't live under a 100% free enterprise system. No, we certainly it, don't. It's, it's a, and don't forget this. Uh, collectivism is not solely through government. Our system of... Uh, our economic system has evolved a great deal from the days of, uh, you know, the Smith wrote about the wealth of nations. Mm -hmm. Our capitalist system, and I'm not knocking it, is, uh, is gradually becoming collectivized. Like this uh, Kefauver in the States, who, he, was a, he was a breakaway from the Republicans, his party. Um, he, he got in quite a... They accused him of being a communist or something over there. Kefauver? 
I think it was Keith Hopper. No, it wasn't Keith Hopper. I don't know who you're talking about, Arbor, but it wasn't Keith Hopper. I'm sorry I have to leave it there, though. I appreciate your calling your comments today, and we'll be back in a moment with more on Left, Right, and Center. Robert Vaughn and Jeff Schlemmer with me on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. We're talking about taxes and talking about our economy and talking about the the, the mood of the body politic. That as much as uh, many people say, and, and, and Bob made the point here that, that uh, people are saying, you know, I want less government, I want more choice, and so on. When push comes to shove, they, they're not prepared to do anything about it. They're they're not they're not besieging their their elected representatives to move government in that direction. In spite of the fact that over the over the kitchen table or over the back fence, uh, boy, you know you can find lots of people who will tell you that. But they're not they're not going after the rascals. Jeff, I want to put that question to you because I think Robert's right. I think there is this great dichotomy there. You walk down the street and say, do you want to, Do we pay too many taxes? Yes, we do. Is government too big and unwieldy? Yes, it is. Well, but then you say, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, there's nothing I can do. Vote liberal, right? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, and look what happens. That's what happened nationally. They but voted liberal. But again, it's, the question is whether you, whether you just pick on government as a service provider or whether you continue on and say, well, what about the other prices in your life? Are you paying a fair price for uh, food? Are you paying a fair price for your cars and all that kind of stuff? Well, if People will also tell you, geez, everything's gone up in price. It's not like the old days. So why people just pick on government and say, well, government services are cost more than they used to? It'd say, well, yeah, so does everything else. Again, for me, it comes back to value for your money. And 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 waiting for somebody to make the argument that if nobody does, I will. But in a lot of places, government does not give you the best value for the money, and that there is a good argument to privatize things. You know, I've I've gone on on the show about government waste and so on. So that's the kind of thing I can buy into. But the idea of saying that if something is run uh, by government who don't have a profit motive, ipso facto it's evil because it's taken away your choice. Ipso facto we should never have it. I say I don't buy that. No, what, what I, I want to get that's... is I want to get my stuff the cheapest I can get it for the best value I can get it. If government provides it, great. If private sector provides it, great. But now you, but right now you don't know who provides it because the private sector doesn't have a chance in a lot of areas. Well, but on the other hand, there's also a lot of a lot of. Uh, okay, the first thing is in a lot of places we do have private sector stuff. We have private sector stuff where we didn't used to. Uh, I think that that is the move, the direction that we're going in, and that there was a time when, uh, you know, uh, after World War II, the sense was the government was going to be involved in a lot more things. We had you know hydro and all these places set up because that was going to be the way to go. We've pulled back a lot from that, but. I guess the question is, in, in certain areas, if we don't know which is the cheaper way to go, uh, you know, how do we find out? For mind of it, it's not as simple as saying, well, we're going to privatize it, and that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody can, can have a meaningful discourse about that, I, I'd be willing to listen. The problem that I see is that a lot of people have interest, vested interests in this, and they're the ones who we tend to hear from. For instance, if it comes to uh, the private sector as to whether they should be running something, well, they'll, they'll commission the Fraser Institute to do a report on it, and you know exactly what it's going to come back and say, and that is that businesses are wonderful. If business ran everything, then life would be heaven on earth. I just can't buy that. Or they can, <laughs> buying that, that, you that can have PR. a royal commission, and you know exactly what the outcome well, of that right. will be as well. So, so yeah, again, that, you come back to this. And one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking earlier about how governments all stand for, for big government, I'm thinking, well, yeah, they've got that vested interest. You know, if you're running a government, why wouldn't you want to have a big government rather than a little one? Who wants to run a little government? And in a sense, we've seen some of that with the Tories. Now, whether... You know, somebody like me would argue that they've been sensible to not sell off something like TVO, that it does provide a useful service. Uh, but on the other hand, there, there surely is the element that when you get in and you're the one driving the bus, you may decide, oh, I kind of like running all this stuff. Well, let me put it to you point blank, Jeff. Um, let's talk about what Howard called in about before and say for health care. And there were 14% of people who did not have adequate health care insurance back in when we in implemented OHIP. What is wrong with subsidizing the person rather than subsidizing an industry? Well, I, 
I guess there's a couple things. One is that when it happened, I was a little kid, so I don't know what the debate was. Well, hypothetically, I, 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 assume... I mean, hypothetically, just talk about the fact that why, for example, subsidized housing, which is the topic we're supposed to be talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, I why, can... do we, why do we subsidize housing rather than subsidize the poor? Nice segue. Okay. Well, I'll tell you why. The reason is that if we subsidize the poor, it doesn't work. And what we're seeing is that happening right now. Why doesn't it work? That was a big Tory platform, though, is that they were going to get rid of government housing. They canceled all the, all the government housing that was being built and said, if we cancel uh, government housing and if we remove rent control, then what we're going to find is a flood of builders are going to come in and start building um, low-cost housing, and then that's going to look after our housing crisis. That was the argument. That, uh, I'm interested in this issue, so I followed But that's it the closely. argument against subsidized housing, not against subsidizing poor people. No, what they said was that everybody on, uh, all the poor people are going to get welfare, and part of their welfare is a housing allowance, and they're going to take that housing allowance and plop it down with Sifton Properties or whoever, because those guys are going to be motivated to go out and build all kinds of low-income housing. Everybody knows What's that they can, build that? It, they can build it way cheaper than everybody else can, What's wrong and it's going to be way more efficient. Okay, well, what I suggest <laughs> is that there's absolutely no low-income housing being built in London after four years of That's this because the program. government has monopoly on low-income housing. No, the government gave up their monopoly. The terrorist government came in and said, we're not doing low-income housing anymore. We're, we canceled, they canceled 20,000 projects of, across Ontario. There's lots of so low-income well, housing in, in London. Lots of them were, were already By being government. built. They canceled all kinds of it. In London right now, there are about 4,000 units in, uh, in London housing of old housing stock. That's, That's true. And, and considering that about a third of people in London live in rental housing, in London right now we've got about, what, 40,000 people on uh, social assistance of one kind or another. So of those 40,000, about 10% of them live in government-subsidized housing. 90% of them don't. You know, and, what, and a lot of them don't live in any kind of housing, as we've seen uh, in the last couple of years. We've had yeah, shelters all the time. Yeah, they're in that tent city down at uh, Harris Park. You used people to never tell <laughs> You've got a good memory. Let's go back to the phones. We've got Denny waiting. Hi, Denny. Just, uh, I guess one of the things that people are always talking about with public sector is it usually gets down to uh, wages and their, the earnings of the people. And I wonder if there's some discussion that can go on regarding the impact of unions in public sector companies versus private sector and the effect, uh, or at least the imperatives of the employer in, in, uh, in each of those areas. Like the private sector employer has a bottom line and uh, has some realities to face where a public sector factor, public sector hasn't got that stuff. So it's the unions can just push through whatever they need in public sector. Maybe you'd like to discuss that. All right. Thanks for the call, Denny. Well, Denny raised an interesting point here. L let me just go to the, a couple of the other callers of what we're talking about here, and then maybe we'll come back to what Denny had to say. Uh, Susan's waiting. Hi, Susan. Hello. Hi there. Um, yes. What I'm calling about is uh, we were discussing um, high tuition in universities and special ed yesterday and um, general health care, and uh, they affect our family in a lot of ways because we have a a multiply handicapped special needs kid um, with medical uh, conditions so health care and everything affects us and what I have found is um, fighting for special education for one thing yesterday uh, we found that um, maybe when they amalgamated all these school boards how many of the the uh, high salaries went in our school boards how many of those jobs stayed and they cut in the class instead and same with um, when when the, the paper prints all these six-figure salaries, all those salaries are our education, our professors at universities, and um, and our health care. And and I'm thinking, well, maybe the uh, the big boys up above maybe better take a cut and let this money funnel back down into what's for the general taxpayer. <laughs> 
Now, if you're an individual, though, Susan, and you have certain uh, um, certain credentials, mm-hmm. and you can go to work A, B, or C and make X number of dollars in A, B, or C, and then A suddenly says to you, well, you know, Susan, we think for the good of society you should cut your salary in half, but we want you to stay and keep doing the job. But you've got a family, you've got a life, you've got a home, you've got a car, maybe you've got a cottage, whatever. Are you going to stay there at A and say, well, yeah, I guess I'll stay here. I'm not going to go and do something else. No, I'm not. Well, why would you expect those people to do it? What I'm saying here is the fact that I think an awful lot of the jobs right now down at the Thames Valley School Board, for instance, are duplicity jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, I won't won't argue with you on that one. Yeah, and, and, uh, you know, I find, too, like with, um, because special ed is what affects me, but I I also have um, nephews in the regular school system, and I see what's happening um, in their school, but with special ed, it's always hit really hard. And um, they cut out um, well, yeah, every but, year. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of getting off the topic here. Yeah. This season, yeah, but the basic thing is that that uh, that I, I really, really do believe that um, a lot of these areas, healthcare and education, and and our universities were given guidelines and they weren't followed. All right, thanks, we're... thanks for the call today. Okay, bye bye. So Susan, maybe kind of heading down the same road that Denny was. Let's just get to Bill here next. Hi, Bill. Good morning. Uh, may I ask your guest a question, uh, re- uh, reverting back to a statement about septic tanks? Mm-hmm. Okay, this isn't about the tanks, but it's on the same line within the city. Uh, a couple years back. Well, no. Before you go any farther, Bill, you know, we're, we're is this in the context of what we're talking about this morning? I think so. Okay. All right. Uh, a couple years ago, the city wanted to put curbs in on a petition by uh, some uh, residents on a street. Half the people won, half didn't. We were forced to go ahead and do this at our cost mm-hmm. and then at an interest rate on top. Now, I'm wondering, when we already had sidewalk curbs, paved street, sewers, why we should have to be forced to pay for something we don't need. No, that's a very good question, but I'm not sure there's an answer from either of my guests here today. Oh, well, I'm very sorry. Well, no, not at all. I, I, I called because I had heard this about the septic tank, and yeah. the gentleman didn't think a person should be forced to have that put in. Well, let, let, let me ask both of our guests today. Do you see a situation like that? And the septic tanks are an excellent one. Street lights and curbs are another one that comes up from time to time in, in, in throughout our community. Is that a situation where these people should be forced to do this for the, supposedly for the greater public good? I don't think force has a place in our society at all, except in uh, self-defense. So, no, I don't think people should be forced to do, to do that, pay for somebody else's service if they don't want it. If, if, in, if on a street you got, uh, say, a street of ten people, uh, nine of them want to have a curb put in or a sewer or, or whatever. Um, they get together knowing full well that this tenth person doesn't want to have it. So what do they do? Do they make the curb and then just forget this person's health and continue the herb, uh, curb on uh, later on? Or for the sake of um, uh, simplicity and, and, and beautifying the street, they make the curb for everybody, including the person who didn't want to pay for it. You know, um, I, I perhaps choose the latter, but the thing is that people would have to understand going into it that they wanted a curb for their street. Some people don't, so if they want the curb, then they should pay for it, period. Mm-hmm. Jeff, what about you? Well, I guess the, the, 
the fundamental thing, uh, and, and to tie it back to our discussion, seems to be a question of whether collectivism is ever a good idea or not, or whether you should always be able to act individually. And the only time that you would ever do something with your neighbor is, is when you see it as being in your own best interest. I guess in an ideal world, you would never have to do anything collectively. We would all just sort of do our own thing and, and never intrude on anyone else's space. But it seems like in our society, there are lots of areas where we just can't get very far that way. And, and, but and it's it, often a blunt instrument. So, yeah. But is it right for people like Bill to be forced to pay? Well, again, to, to come back to what we've been talking about, as far as whether or not you should ever have to pay for something that you may not see as being in your best interest, sometimes I think you do. Whether curbs are, are where you draw the line, I don't know. But a hospital might be an example where I might say, you know, you may not choose to participate in funding a hospital, even though you, you need to go there if you get hurt. Um, well, maybe because we all have to kick in something in order to build the hospital, maybe we'll ask you to contribute. All right, Bill, appreciate your call, sir. Hope we got some kind of an answer for you. And we've got to move along. We've got a lot of people waiting today. Eric's up. Hello, Eric. Oh, hi, Jim. Yes, sir. Jim, a quick question. Uh, it's about taxes. I heard the early part, but then I had to go into a place. But anyway, the uh, I, I would be curious to know from maybe Robert Vaughn how much uh, governments or governments should spend on culture in Canada. It seems to me that it's uh, one of the drains on our taxes is the uh, the 200 million here spent for the Francophony conference, official bilingualism, and uh, you know our, our paintings that are worth two million each or so. And I'm just curious if he knows anything more about that. Uh, no more than you, Bill, uh, or Eric. I'm sorry. Uh, except that, um, just to give you the pat right wing answer, I don't think we should be sending zip on culture. <laughs> there's well, no question. Only, only rich people should have culture. There's no way that people who are lower class should have any access to culture of any kind. They shouldn't have access to my tax dollars to pay for what they No, they shouldn't have access culture. to culture, period. They shouldn't be able to access oh, art. Be they so shouldn't silly. be able to do any of those don't kinds of things. But they can do all sorts of things to access culture, Jeff. You've red herring time here. They can turn on the television. They can turn on the radio. They can go to yeah. the library. Define and culture. CBC. Uh, okay, if, if you define television as culture. No, uh, no, no, but they have access. <laughs> I don't where to go from there. They have access you can go to the library, for example, and for free, you can take out the great masterworks of the great composers and take them home and listen to them at your, at your pleasure. Okay, well, you can get that's true. That, that the lower class should be able to access copies of culture, that's true, but they shouldn't be able to access the real thing because culture should be reserved to wealthy people. Everybody knows that. It's always been the case throughout history. Now, you are tongue-in-cheek, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm deadly serious. <laughs> Eric, thanks for the call today. Okay, well, I want to... No, I think you've hit on something here. In terms of expenditures, then, how does spending two Million, or it wasn't 200 million, but the, all the money to, for the participation in the Francophonie conference, or the money, all the flags that Sheila Kopp spent the money on, $2 million to buy Voice of Fire in Ottawa. Uh, I mean, how is that benefiting the poor in our community who well, are culturally deprived? Yeah, flags, flags are not culture. Flags are uh, well, they're you know, culture, rallying around patriotism and all that kind of stuff. culture under your liberal government in, in Ottawa. They well, sure as heck are. Budget, but when I talk about culture, I'm talking about art and music and all that kind of stuff, and whether or not you know it's appropriate for government to fund Canadian artists or Canadian music or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, again, the, the traditional rationale, as I would understand it, is that no, that that stuff should only be accessible to people who can afford it no, themselves. No, no, I think the rationale is that if you're going to do it for one, you should do it for all. You shouldn't fund a symphony player and not fund a folk singer. I think that's the big argument that people well, have. And, 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 and that comes back to the question of what is culture, you know, and, and I'm no, happy to right. argue that they're both culture, but lots of people seem to think that we need this higher culture of one kind or another. Well, that's that. That's that elitist attitude. You guys <laughs> well, on so the, say the rich people should, should be the only ones well, who are true, subjected Jim. to that. No, it's true. The, the left have an elitist attitude when it comes to culture. For example, the Star Wars movies come out. I mean, it, it costs more than perhaps some country's gross national product. Mm -hmm. And yet, it is a cultural uh, event. And um, why is that any different than, say, this voice of fire? 
except that the voice of fire is a piece of, in my subjective opinion, trash that's not worth two cents, let alone two million dollars. Okay, well, I... And I, yet I, I'm quite I, I willing just took to a, shell just, out eight bucks to see Star Wars. I just took a, a course at the, uh, the library in art, and uh, my art... Uh, uh, professor said about the same thing as what you just said about that particular painting. So. Well, I, I consider anything <laughs> trash that I can duplicate myself, and that's pretty bad. <laughs> Let's go back to the phones where Willard's with us. Hi, Willard. Hello. Yes, sir. Uh, Jeff, I think, is rather mixing up apples and oranges. You were quoting the figure, I think, from Reader's Digest of a hundred and some percent increase in the percentage of, of our pay we're, that's going to taxes. Well, Jeff didn't quote it. I did. Yeah. You did. But yes. then he said, oh, well, look at the Volkswagen's yes. five times or 25 times in yep. dollars, yes. not in percent. Uh, if you're going to translate the increase in the percentage rate of our taxes into dollars, you get a hell of a big uh, number there. Too. Well, because our standard of living has gone up and our income has gone up quite a bit. That's true. Yeah, no, but you're mixing, you're ta mixing up apples and oranges. Well, I don't think so. Well, I think so. Uh, yeah, and, and I understand that you may think that, but uh, I would suggest to you that cars cost more now than they did in 61. They cost a greater percentage of the average in person's take-home pay. Yeah, exactly. Indeed, they do. Yeah. If I could just jump in here, Jeff, the big difference, and I, and I want to put a focus on that, is that where do you stop with government? There is a limit to government taxing you. That's 100%. It's called communism. But when you have a Volkswagen that costs ten thousand dollars and sixty-one, and it costing uh, fifty thousand dollars now, or whatever you know, just a well, figure out of the year. It was closer to two thousand. We'll say two thousand and sixty-one, ten thousand today, or whatever. You know, geez, let's not get hung up. On <laughs> the, the idea is that once you get to a point that the that the car is no longer worth the money that is, you don't buy it anymore. But with government, they tax you to one hundred percent and no more, and that's it. And it's a complete apples and oranges thing. You cannot make the comparison. Well, well of course they're exact. They're exactly comparable where because you're buying services. Could save a lot of money. Yes is getting rid of all these political patronage, what do they call them, order and council appointments? Mm -hmm. That are, you know, politicians that get appointed to crown corporations on their own. But how else are you going to get people involved in the political process if you don't give them a payoff? Because nobody wants to do anything. Well, yeah, that sort of goes along, <laughs> I guess, with honesty and morality, doesn't yeah, it? There you are. They, well, thanks listen for the, to Dr. Laura. Yeah, thanks for the call today. But it's Bye -bye. astounding to me, you know, those ordering council appointments, they, and they get paid 50000 bucks a year or whatever, and that just drives people crazy. But when you hear that the uh, the head of Bell Canada paid himself $15 million last year, everybody says, well, he's worth it. That's the difference. Well, he's worth it. He's worth it because people were willing to pay it nobody well, i don't think they had a choice yeah. bob and i may differ about that but you're going to have to buy it from some some company who's going to pay their chief executive astronomical amounts of money i saw peter newman in his latest book referred to the massive increase in the uh, incomes being paid to private sector uh, executives as being the mad cow disease of the uh, business world of the 90s you know the difference is is choice and force okay um with bell canada right now i can make a choice uh, whether or not i want them as my provider and it's actually i don't even have bell canada as my provider right now i make a choice and so if he wants to make $50 million, more power to him. When it comes to the government providing a service, I have no choice. Therefore, I resent the fact that they're forcing me to pay for somebody's salary for a service that I have no choice in. That's the difference. But you don't mind, though, uh, whatever service you do provide. And you're, you have a limited number, realistically. Say you've got three or four different companies you can choose from. They all pay their executives massively greater amounts than they did 10 years ago. And that doesn't bother you at all? Not at all. That's their, that's their business as long as I get the service that I want for a reasonable price. What they do with their profit is their business. <laughs> 
Well, and again, and that fundamentally, I think, frames the difference between left and the right, whether or not there's anything wrong with having the money taken out of your pocket by business executives or whether there's anything wrong with being it's taken not, out by politicians and whether it's wrong to pay Paul Martin 150000 bucks a year to work like a dog, whether it's wrong to pay, uh, uh, well, uh, Grand Prix, whatever the guy's name, a bell, $15 million a year, which one you, you feel more victimized by? I feel, I don't I feel more victimized by the $15 million guy who's doing exactly the same See, job. Situation. Bell gets my money, or actually Bell doesn't, but <laughs> the phone company gets my money and I get the service. And it's a mutually beneficial relationship. In government, it's different. You have a monopoly where you have, uh, you're forced to pay for a service you may or may not need or want, and you get uh, perhaps a worse service than you would have gotten if they had 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 you the choice in a private sector to pick the uh, service if, provider. If that guy didn't pay himself $15 million, but he was willing to work for the 150000 that Paul Martin's willing to work for, then you'd have had an extra $14 million to distribute in lower prices. That would be better for everybody. It's, it's interesting to me that for some reason we have a political system that forces uh, the, the politicians to make extraordinarily lower amounts of money than they would in the private sector for any equivalent job. And I, I don't know why that is. And, and yet, even though they do that, everybody still hates them as being overpaid. Again, the difference is between a business decision to pay your uh, CEOs more or a political decision to pay your um, um, party hacks more. Well, the shareholders the don't That's like the it. The customers don't like business it. Business and politics don't mix. But unless there's some magical thing to it, as soon as you say it's a business decision, all of a sudden you can't scrutinize no, it and decide whether it was wise no, or no, not. I, I would suggest that doesn't make any difference at I all. I disagree with your comment that the shareholders don't like it. The shareholders obviously do like it or they do something about it because well, they, they are the group that do have the ability to constrain and restrain those salaries. Well, they have it in the same sense that we all have the ability to choose whatever politician, whatever government we want. It's true. And I'm the one sitting here arguing you should vote because you can make a difference. And if you're a shareholder, you should vote because you can make a difference. But realistically, they're doing it right now because they can get away with it. Well, because there, there are no shareholder be, blocks that are large because, enough to control it. Well, because the shareholders are saying, hey, basically, they're just saying what Bob says. I'm happy enough. I'm getting a good return on my investment. I'm happy with the return on investment. And if it takes $15 million to hire a guy to get me this return, then I don't care. But again, that's not what that's not what Peter Newman is saying. That's not what uh, Diane Francis is saying. Any of the business analysts uh, I have read have not said shareholders are happy about this massive increase. In, then, shareholders, in, then shareholders ought to do something In stock prices. It. But the fact is, the way the system is set up, it's extremely difficult for them to do anything Well, that's about no it. excuse for anything. Oh, I, know. Say it's no, difficult. I, I agree. You know, I I'm agree. not a shareholder in Bell, but who am I to say that this person is not worth the $15 million? Because I'm not a shareholder. I'm ten, no times older, ten times harder than Paul But Martin. I am a taxpayer, and I have every right to say well, how much my politicians hundred times are. harder, I'm sorry. I guess 150000 15 million, that's a hundred times more. Well, but, I mean, if you want to talk about values, then, you know, is, is, is Wayne Gretzky, when, we, when he was playing, was he worth ten times as much as, as Ty Domi? I mean, but, who knows? Oh, I know, and that's who what we knows? come back to. And people have this idea that, for some reason, there's no limit to the upper limit of where people should be able to make money. And the fact that right now... Again, we had this earlier caller talking about uh, is the reason government is less efficient than business because of high wages from unions. And I think, well, in fact, you know, wages haven't really gone up in the 90s at all, but certainly profits have gone up massively and executive compensation has gone up massively. Would he be concerned about that as well? It's all coming out of his pocketbook. At the end of the day, he's paying a lot more money for the services he's getting because these business executives are making a lot more is money because the Dow more, Jones... And or or is he getting the service because these people are getting the money? Is he getting a better service? No. Well, for instance, could you find somebody who would work for uh, a tenth as much, only $1.5 who could run Bell Canada? I would suggest you probably could. Realistically, with all the MBAs we're uh, graduating out of Western every year, you know, <laughs> then why is, it's then not why a is measure he, of the value he's providing to the company. Then why is he getting? Well, I'm, I would I would argue with you argue with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to argue with him. <laughs> What's the point? I mean, no, the, 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 I think to me, there's the no arguing with some people. <laughs> some people would make the point though that the that the that the value is self-evident that he's worth the money because he gets the money, and if he wasn't worth it, he wouldn't get it. <laughs> No, really. They, well, again, 
let's let because these, it's a perfect system a system where we get exactly what what uh, goes in one end comes out the other there's nothing that prevents that from happening at the other end again you look at diane francis she did an analysis of uh, profitability return on investment from 10 years ago for companies compared to today and she took about uh, two dozen canadian companies and said okay here's how much their profit has gone up and profits have gone up a lot mm -hmm. in the last 10 years there's been a lot of profitability but she's shown in, in virtually every case that salaries have gone up by three or four times more than the massive profitability has mm -hmm. gone up she so says that doesn't make any sense. What's wrong with it? It's not appropriate. It's not an efficient way to run a, a, an economy. Well, but uh, people get all wound up about unions and saying that, well, geez, last year those public sector workers got a 1% salary increase. It's no wonder we can't afford anything anymore. All of our money is going to taxes to pay that 1% increase. But the fact that the guy who runs the company that you buy your phone from has had a 1,000% pay raise doesn't bother people at all. They don't see that as coming out of their pocketbook. It's astounding to me. Let's go back to the phones where Matt's waiting. Hi, Matt. Hi, how you doing? Good. we got about 60 seconds for you. Okay. Just one uh, little point. Um, I don't think people realize where their money goes when they're paying for something. And, and going that, going uh, to the uh, to the Bell Canada thing. Um, why don't they say, okay, you know, if for every dollar that you spend on your long distance charges, um, one, uh, you know, like like one tenth of it or whatever goes to the executive. At least they would be able to determine where their money is actually going. You know, if they could divide it up. Well, they can find out right now. I mean, the, the, those are all public records, what these people get paid. Oh, well, people aren't going to go, go to that extent of, uh, of actually... Well, maybe uh, they should. That's part of the responsibility of living in a democracy, don't you think? Well, not to... No, no. no. If you're going for essential services such as uh, telephone, you know, you don't, you don't go for that. You don't say, where did my money go for electricity? Where did it go for this? Where did it go for that? Mm -hmm. No. It, but if they, if, they, if they laid it out as to where, where the percentages of everything well, went... What, what difference would it make to you, Matt, if you knew that? What difference would it make? Would you stop using the phone? Would you say, I'm not going to make that extra call because that's going to put an extra penny in the chief executive's pocket? No, but I might switch uh, companies if I knew that more went to, uh, let's say, the employees or to uh, research or development or, or if it went to... But you can uh, find that out, is my point. It's pretty hard. Well, can I, can I ask you, Matt? I mean, you go into the 7-Eleven store, or mom-and-pop variety, family-owned. Do you ask them, you know, how much of that chocolate bar price goes into your pocket and how much goes to your suppliers and how much goes into upkeep of your... No, no the question we ask is how much goes to taxes, and they separate it out for us <laughs> because taxes drive us crazy. Even That's though taxes right. are a very small People part of the price, we the hate reason. the taxes, but we'll pay anything to that chief executive. Yeah, why, we don't mind. Does, it's why, okay. He's why, worth it. Why would you, Jeff, <laughs> wonder why anybody would... Ask how much goes into the owner's pocket. It's, that's their I hate business. getting ripped off. I hate it. <laughs> Don't buy from them. Don't buy the chocolate bar either. Matt, thank you for the call today. It's good to have you with us, and it's good to have everybody who joined us today. Hope you uh, were entertained and informed on this edition or by this edition of Talk of the Town tomorrow. Uh, we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. Make sure you join us. It'll be a good show. Um, and don't forget to vote if you're informed. Don't forget to stay home if you don't know what you're doing. If you don't know the candidates, don't know the issues, do everybody a favor and stay home. You don't need to exercise your franchise. It'll be better there next time when you're better prepared. All right? Do us all a favor. Um, Ask the Experts coming up with Bud Polio a half hour from now with answers to all your automotive questions. And uh, we'll see Jeff probably next week. And Bob, we'll see you soon, I'm sure, again. And uh, hey, have a great time. Take care of each other, mind how you go, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.